Well, I do want to encourage you, as Daniel already has, to come join us tonight at 6 for prayer, and we'll be celebrating the baptism of four of our members. Um, those are grand, grand times. And we will also tonight be praying for friends of yours and family members who you hope one day will follow Christ and might enter the waters of baptism themselves. So um, come. We've had outstanding participation by you in our recent prayer meetings, and it's been of great encouragement, so I do hope that you'll make a point of that. I also wanted to let you know where we are in one regard with respect to our capital campaign that we renew every year. We call it our journey of faith, and so far, 75% of North Wakers have joined in on this. Okay. So I'm not going to tell you the monetary amount until next week because I'm holding out for the other 25%. So if you haven't had a chance to let us know that you're in on this, to turn in a pledge for the coming year to help us retire our debt um, so we can be available to serve God in greater ways, uh, do that this week. Even if you can't give, just sign on the card that you're in, that you're praying, and, and uh, that you want to be a part of this as God provides. So today, we're going to look in on the last chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, I'll Teach on chapter 16, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. And then next week, we'll review the entire book to help us remember what it is that God's been saying to us along the way. But today especially, you're going to get a sense for the fact that the book of 1 Corinthians is not so much a doctrinal treatise as it is a letter. It's a letter written by a founding pastor back to the church that he planted, um, a church uh, that has gotten off track, and he writes a, a letter correcting and rebuking them in, in many ways. And um, Whenever you write a letter, at least I do, I always struggle with how to do the closing. You know, there, that little thing you write just above your name, sincerely, or, you know, whatever, which always seems so insipid. You know, what do you write there? There are all kinds of options. I have a few that I've run across. Very truly yours. Sincerely yours are common. Have a nice day. Warmest regards. Your pal. Affectionately. I had a friend who always signed his letters, cheers. Um, here's one that I've never used. Uh, I am, sir, your most humble and obedient servant. You might want to drop that on your next letter. Um... Peace out, keep it real, or later alligator. Probably none of those were used by the Apostle Paul in signing his letter to the Corinthians. If you're Paul, how are you going to sign a letter to this messed up church in Corinth? They have sinned in every imaginable way. They don't submit to your apostleship. They question it, chafe under your leadership. How are you going to sign? How are you going to close your letter to this church? It's a fascinating question. Look at the last verse of chapter 16. Last verse of the book of 1 Corinthians. This is how Paul closes his letter. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Essentially, Paul signs his letter to this unappreciative, messed up church simply by saying, I love you. I love you. And today, I want us to to reflect, self-reflect on that and just ask the question, could you, could you sign a letter like that to someone who defied you and talked about you and disregarded you, someone who's living a life that shames you, that denies Christ, that frustrates you? 
Could you sign your letter to somebody like that? I love you. Um, is that how you sign your letters, the ones that you write really not so much with pen and ink, but with everyday conversation? Um, even to people who don't agree with you or have wronged you? Is that what's left on the forefront of their minds after they talk to you, that you love them? This is the last thing that Paul wants ringing in the ears of the Corinthians as they hear this letter read. They didn't have copies like you and I have, so it was read aloud to them. And the last thing Paul wants them to hear is that he loves them. You know, the whole closing chapter, it's really kind of disjointed, but I think what you'll see is that it's every piece of it is an expression of the unfolding of Paul's love for this wayward church. And so today, I want us to reflect on that ourselves, how well we are doing at loving one another as we walk through this. So let's pray, and we'll dig in. God, help us now to hear well the truth that comes from this your word to us. Um, uh, may we be better at loving one another because of it. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Paul starts um, concerning a collection or an offering that he is taking, having the Corinthians gather for the saints. He says, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So Paul has them gathering up an offering to be sent to another church in Jerusalem. And these are kind of the details for how that's supposed to be carried out. Today, it wouldn't be any big deal. You write a check, put it in the mail, we're good. Um, but back in Paul's day, obviously, there are no checks, there's no paper money, there's no wire transfers, there's no Western Union. They're carrying coin. And so it's a very, um, a very important and careful strategy that Paul is laying out in these early verses of the, of the letter in this chapter. Often this is cited as a good model for giving and handling money. You know, it's regular, it's weekly, it's proportionate, it's accountable. Um, and as helpful as those insights are, there, I think, are more important ones that I want to make sure we don't miss from these early verses of the church. Let me underscore three just from these verses. First of all, the church cares for the poor. This is an offering Paul is gathering from the churches in Galatia and Corinth to send back to the Jerusalem church that's suffering greatly. Um, the church cares for the poor, as Paul put it in Galatians, especially those who are of the household of the faith. This is one of the marks of the church. We care for the poor. We care for those in need. It's what we do. Let's not miss that in this. Second thing is, is perhaps more easily missed. The church is to be one. Paul is recruiting from Gentile churches in Turkey and Greece to give an offering for a Jewish church back in Jerusalem. Okay. N.T. Wright, in his 
little commentary on 1 Corinthians says Paul is signaling to the Gentile Christians that they are part of the same family as the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And more importantly still, to signal to the Jewish Christians that those Gentiles out there who have come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah and the true Lord of the world are part of the same family as they are, even though they haven't become Jews in the process. See, It's not enough that we would be one as important as that is. Paul is pressing us to be one with other Christian churches, churches perhaps even of other denominations, churches of other theological inclinations, churches that are of predominantly other races, churches in other lands and other cultures. I'm not sure of all the ways that that needs to look for us at Northwake, but it must look like that, that we love and care for other churches outside of our own. We are one with them in the body of Christ. So Paul is working to create, by this offering, a demonstrated unity between churches that have never met, are of different races, and are in other countries. The tool that he chooses to use is interesting, an offering. He's going to connect them by their money. And to me, this is part of the beauty of our journey of faith tithe. We take 10% of everything that comes in for our capital campaign, and we give it away to ministries outside of ourselves, often to other churches. And next year, um, the tithe off of the monies that we give will go in, in large part to planting a church in the Czech Republic by means of uh, the Valhalla family uh, who are at North Wake. We're going to send them to the Czech Republic, a land that's over 90% atheist, and they're going to plant a church there. And we are going to be knit to them through the Valhalla family and through the resources that we're sending um, along with them. The church is to be one. Don't miss that. And the, the third thing, I promised you a third thing. Paul loves the church. He cares for the church. He cares deeply for the suffering church in Jerusalem. He's running all over Asia, raising funds from different churches to send back for their need. See, this whole chapter is a practical reflection of Paul's love for the church. It takes a little bit different shape in the next few verses, starting in verse 5. He says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries." you get a sense of Paul's love for the church just by his eagerness to spend lengthy time there. Lengthy time with a church that did not like him, okay? that did not submit well to his authority. And Paul's eager to go there, and he wants to spend a long time with them. He loves the church, and love is like that. It asks time of us. And Paul is eager to give it. He loves this messed up church in Corinth and is eager for a lengthy visit. 
He loves the church he's staying at in Ephesus, too. There's a lot of opportunity there. So Paul is going to stay in Ephesus even though there's great opposition to the work. He is willing to suffer for the church in Ephesus. Now let me ask you a question. Would you suffer for the church? Would you suffer for the people in this room? Do they get a sacrifice of that which is most precious to you, your time? Are they, are they in your living room? Not, not all of them at once, but are some of these people invited into your living room? Are they on your calendar? Do you love them, the people in this room? Paul visits and suffers for the church because of the way he signs their letter. It's simply because he loves them. Now, Paul moves on from here and he makes some more um, travel arrangements of sorts. He says in verse 10, when Timothy comes... See that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord, as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Now I urge you, brothers, a couple verses down in verse 15, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they had devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence. They have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. Okay, a whole bunch of kind of random sounding names to us. Paul is making arrangements for other people to be sent to Corinth in his absence. Um, Timothy, notably, but especially, I want to note Apollos. Now, if you remember back in the early part of the book of 1 Corinthians, the church was divided around Peter, who was called Cephas, around Apollos, around Paul, and around Jesus. They had these little factions that were dividing the church. One of those was around Apollos. And here we see Paul happily urging Apollos to go back to Corinth and minister there. There's no defensiveness on Paul's part. There's no rivalry on his part. He urges Apollos to go to Corinth for the good of the church. Why? It's because of how he signs the letter. Paul loves the church more than his own reputation. He doesn't care if it's about him. He doesn't care if it's about Apollos. He loves that church and wants them to be served and well-shepherded. He sends Timothy. Timothy um, is reputed to be a little bit on the timid side, perhaps, and he warns the church not to despise him. He sends back to them a series of messengers that were probably sent to him from Corinth, this Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. They were probably the letter bearers back to Corinth from Paul. His counsel concerning all these random people is the same to the church. Do not despise them, be subject to them, 
give recognition to them. Because Paul loves the church and is concerned for their well-being, he urges them to submit to these men's authority. Let them shepherd you. It's for their good, and it's for our good as well. To be willingly shepherded by godly leaders of your local church is a godsend that's essential for the care of your own soul. Now, I wonder, do you know someone who professes Christ but is without the care of a local church to help them shepherd their souls? They profess Christ, but they're not in a church. Or maybe they're just around the edges of a church, unwilling to submit to the leaders of the church and be shepherded by their teaching and their care. They're just kind of orbiting the church, you might say. Hebrews 13 famously puts it this way, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give, have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Do you know someone that needs you to invite them to come in and experience this advantage of glad submission to the leadership of a local church? Is that someone you? Are you in glad submission to the leadership of your local church here at North Wake? Or are you staying on the edges, just kind of orbiting the church, connecting on your terms, the way you want to do it, where it's the way it's convenient for you? An unsubmitted Christian is a vulnerable one. And so... Let me urge you this morning, as someone who must one day give an account for how I care for you, come in and let us care for you. Stop orbiting on the edges of the church. Let us help you shepherd your souls. Come in and experience the love of God in the care of his people here. So Paul is making all these shepherding arrangements for the church in Corinth, sending Timothy and Apollos and Stephanus and the others for the good of the church, that they would be shepherded well. And it's because of the way he signs their letter. He loves them. Now, if, you're, if you notice, I skipped a couple verses in the middle there, verses 13 and 14. At that point, Paul's going to stop addressing concerns that they wrote to him about and he's answering, which is a lot of the book of 1 Corinthians. There was evidently some early writing that Paul is responding to. But he stops that and he begins the closing remarks of his letter. So this set of exhortations in verse 13 and 14 is Paul's closing exhortation to them. They reveal Paul's heart. They're the things that he wants the church in Corinth to make sure they take away from this lengthy letter and put into practice. They are of huge value for us. They are on the door of my office. They are the most frequent uh, scripture that I pray, especially for my sons. This is how it goes. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. 
Let all that you do be done in love. Be watchful. The idea is be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. These first two exhortations are about faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus died, rose from the dead on the third day. He says, accept no substitutes. Append no supplements to that message. Be faithful to it. Does that describe you? Are you on your guard against false alternative teachings to the gospel of Jesus? Are you grounded in this book, the scriptures? Or do you dabble in supplements and substitutes? Um, the Oprahs and the Deepaks and the horoscopes and the lotteries of our day, the stuff that urges us to trust first somewhere else, to seek wisdom somewhere else other than Christ and his gospel. Be watchful, Paul says. Stand firm in the faith. And then he says, act like men. Be strong. Those are similar ideas. When he says act like men, the idea is... um, Some of your Bibles will translate it this way. Be men of courage. It's to be courageous. Um, In the face of opposition to their faith, people who would lead them astray, Paul is saying, instead, trust God courageously. Do what he asks of you by faith. Do the right thing. Stay true to the word. The call is to courageously, unwaveringly follow Christ. And it's interesting, men, that all Paul has to say to get the message across of being courageous is to simply say, play the man. Be a man. And what that meant in their day was to be courageous. We want to recover that here at North Wake. We want to be able to say to our kids, be a man and have that mean to them. Be courageous and trust God. Don't walk away. Don't give up. Don't yield. Be courageous. And so there's a challenge here for us as men in this regard as well. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And then he says, let all that you do be done in love. Now, this is 1 Corinthians 13 condensed to a sentence. Nothing matters more than how well we love. Jesus said it's the most important of commandments to love God and to love neighbor. Jesus would also say this is how people know we belong to him, by the way we love one another. Francis Schaeffer says it's the mark of a Christian. So, Do you love the church? I'm not talking about the orange tiles and the coffee bar. Do you love the church? I'm not talking about the preaching or the worship. Do you love the church? That is, do you love the people in this room? That's what it means to love the church. You love the people sitting next to you. Do you love the church? Do you love the people in this room? It's about the people. 
And we need to do this because Peter tells us that it's love that covers over a multitude of sins. And this room is full of a multitude of sinners. Love must, must mark our relationships. Gordon Fee says that if the Corinthians had love well, then it would have addressed the quarrels in the name of leaders in chapters 1 to 3, their attitude towards Paul in chapters 4 and 9, lawsuits in chapter 6, husband-wife relationships in chapter 7, the abuse of the weak in 8 through 10, the abuse of the Lord's Supper in 11, the failure to edify the church in worship in chapters 12 through 14. In effect, if the Corinthians had just loved one another, it'd be a really short letter. It would have taken care of so much. Do you love the church? Is really the message Paul's pressing us with from this last chapter. Do you, will you love the people in this room? Will you sacrifice for them? Will you care for them? Will you love them? That's how Paul signs his letter. Paul loves the church and he calls the church to love one another, to do everything in love. Now, in the next few verses down in verse 19, he does what he customarily does at the close of the book uh, of one of his letters. He sends greetings. He says, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca or Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, Paul is... Delivering greetings from other churches, in other cultures, in other lands, churches who's likely never met the Corinthians, but he's building unity here. He's building oneness between these churches. The church must be one, Paul's saying. Now, if there's ever a season of greetings, it's this one. So let me give you a prompt about this matter. Let me, let me go beyond that. Let me give you authority, okay? I'm going to give you special authority here. Um, you are now licensed, bonded, and insured to give greetings in the name of North Wake to one of our church plants or one of our missionaries, the churches they're planting in China or in India or in Kenya or in Rome or wherever we've got people in Papua New Guinea, in, you know, they're everywhere. To send a note this Christmas season that just says, you know, I bring you greetings in the name of the people at North Wake. We're praying for you and for the church there in your land, and we, we love you. Um, let them know that North Wake sends greetings. Now, the next greeting it's from Paul himself. It's interesting. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Evidently, he's been dictating the letter to a secretary of sorts. He gets to this point, takes a pen away. He said, this is my greeting. Look at Paul's greeting. This is very interesting. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. So, you know, happy Yuletide greetings. You open up your Christmas card from Paul, and he says, if you don't love the Lord, be damned. Love, Paul. Merry Christmas. You know? what, in the, what, in the, what in the world? Is, honestly. Um, this is a really strong warning. 
it's rooted in Paul's love for the church. It uses a word, maybe you've heard it, um, it's the word anathema. It means to be given over to destruction, to be given over to the wrath of God. And he's just warning people, don't mess with the church. Don't, don't bring that fake faith here in the church. And then he uses another word, maybe you've heard it before, maranatha. It means come, Lord. It's, it's a one-word prayer. It just invites the Lord to come. And so essentially, he's, he's warning people, don't mess with the church. The Lord is coming. He's coming to judge those who do not love the Lord. Don't bring that fake faith into the church. Um, those are strong words. And again, loving the Lord is all wrapped up inseparably in loving the church, which is his body. You cannot love the Lord and not love his body. I'm not sure that's even possible. Um, and I, do that on I say that on biblical authority. I think in 1 John 4, 8, it says, anyone who does not love, the emphasis is on love one another in the context, does not know God because God is love. A while back, our youth used to sport um, T-shirts that said something like, Jesus said, love me, love my church. That's a good paraphrase of what Jesus was saying. Those things are inseparable. Loving Christ, loving his, his body. And some of you may have questions about that. You think, you know, I, I can love Jesus just fine and not be, you know, all caught up in the church. You know people, at least, who think that way. And... Um, let me suggest an experiment, um, guys, if you are vulnerable to this. Go to your wife and tell her that you love her, that you love her integrity and her trustworthiness and her intellect and her sense of humor, but her body's about as attractive to you as a wrinkled prune. Okay? Just try that out. See how that works. Say, you know, I love you, but that body of yours is repulsive. I mean, could you just cover that thing up? Right? Two words, hello couch, right? That's better yet, hello best friend's couch. Okay, you're out of there. That's not going to work. Because love for her and love for her body, that's inseparable. Love Jesus, love his church, love his body. They're inseparable loves. You can't love Jesus well and not love the church. You just can't. They're inseparable loves. And some of you are frustrated for trying it. Do you love Jesus? Do you love his body, which is the church? Paul closes out his greeting with these two solemn words of warning. Anathema, be cursed if you don't love the Lord. And then Maranatha. Come, Lord. Paul loves his Lord, and he is eager for his coming as a result. And then he closes with these two very positive statements at the end. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul signs his letter, I love you. This is what's driving the whole chapter. This 
this offering to the church in Jerusalem, his plans to visit, the sending of Apollos and Timothy and the others, his staying in Ephesus where he's going to be persecuted, the greetings, all of it's an expression of Paul's love for the church. I suppose you could say that 1 Corinthians, when you think about it in light of this chapter, is really a love letter from their pastor to the church. Do you love the church is what Paul is pressing us. Not the orange tiles, not the worship music, but the people. Do you love them? Will you love them? Will you love them like Paul, even like Jesus, who loved the church and gave himself up for her? Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, it's, um, it's hard for us to love, especially people who are rude to us or indifferent to us or think differently than us or don't care about us or mistreat us, and yet here you are showing us in Paul, a man greatly mistreated by this church, and yet he did not orbit, did not leave, he couldn't wait to get back because he loved them so. Father, I pray that you might mark this church deeply with love so that they would know that we are your disciples by the way that we love one another. Help us, Lord. Have mercy on us, we pray in Christ's name.